Hi, my name is Kunal, and welcome to the Geeks of the Valley podcast, which connects with some of the brightest minds globally who are leading their respective industries today to discuss the hottest upcoming industry trends and how their work is affecting the global economy. This morning from Lahore, Pakistan, we have an ex-GIC private equity vice president, current Kaufman fellow, and current founder and managing partner from Samayakar joining us. Please welcome Rabil Warayich. Rabil, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kunal. And how are things with you this morning in Lahore? So it's a nice sunny morning in um, Lahore. It's also turning towards spring, which is arguably the best time to be in the city. I'm happy to hear that, Rabil. And uh, let's jump into the first question here, shall we? Yep, sounds good. Tell me about yourself and your background, where you grew up and how it led you to the path of coming back to Pakistan and starting the biggest VC fund uh, till date. The journey started in the city called Rawalpindi, which is a sister city of Islamabad right next to it. And I was in Pakistan up until my A-levels and then ended up uh, at university in the US at MIT. In between, I did a year abroad at Oxford, and that's how I ended up um, starting my professional career in London with Morgan Stanley doing investment banking. That stint lasted for about three years, and then I moved over to GIC, which was really the last uh, proper job that I had before relocating back to Pakistan. And so everything that I know as an investment professional and the training was really uh, down to what I've got exposed to at GIC um, and building on some of that and the local knowledge that I had picked up when I was growing up in Pakistan and a network that had expanded um, to quite a few different sectors and industries um, suggested that there could be something that could be explored in Pakistan. Um, but Really, the journey of that exploration also started in 2012, 2013, when the first wave of incubators and accelerators were getting set up in the country. But at that time, the underlying startups were not getting enough traction because we didn't have 3G or 4G enabled. That, that happened in 2015. So in 2016, I basically spent a lot of time trying to scope out what the opportunity was. Um, and at that time, it became clear that risk capital is in dire shortage in the country particularly with any sort of value add together with it. Um, and maybe we'll talk about this topic a little bit later in the podcast, but that value add component or the handholding that was required was a critical part of any offering that would be wrapped by risk capital. And so initially we started, um, I started setting up small syndicates where we would take uh, $200,000, $300,000 positions in, in seed stages of um, uh, promising startups. And those syndicates would include capital for myself and other people in my network, um, mostly based abroad. But very quickly after um, launching that, realized two key things. One was that this could only be done on the ground and not via flying model from London. And the second thing was that the, op the size of the opportunity would go beyond what my own pocket or what the, the pockets of the immediate syndicate members would extend to. So the conclusion of that was to relocate to Pakistan um, to start raising the first professionalized venture capital fund um, on GPLP structure uh, in 2017. 
And, um, and in many ways, this was a completing of the circle um, because ultimately what I grew up learning from my father was really about incentive alignment and, and working towards goals and then being rewarded, which is exactly what I get to do now in my, in my job, uh, which is find people that I can um, uh, align with, back them, and, and hopefully if, if certain outcomes are achieved, then um, we all get rewarded as part of that. So Rabil, taking kind of a, a step back here, um, can you tell us about the fund and its thesis, uh, the focus area, and some of the exciting investments you have made in the Pakistani ecosystem uh, till date? That's a good question, Kunal, because a lot of times we get bogged down into, into theses around subsegments um, and, and areas which are far, uh, not that far along in their maturation. Our thesis is quite simple because it's a Pakistan-focused uh, or a geographically-focused fund. We're looking at the demographic opportunity in Pakistan, which is 220 million population, roughly 65% of which is less than 30 years old and almost 50% is less than 20 years old. And in an economy which is 80% consumption linked, a lot of those consumption patterns of this underlying demographic are moving to digital sources. People like myself are using Uber and Kareem to go around. We are using Foodpanda to order our food. We're ordering our medicine online using Davai so on and so forth. What this tells you is what the thesis is not. And the thesis is not banking on Pakistan becoming a hub of innovative breakthroughs for the world in the foreseeable future. So this is not a thesis similar to Israel's where there was concerted effort behind certain industry segments, which led to a lot of investment and then a lot of entrepreneurs emerging in that space and eventually high performing startups as well. Our call is that this consumption change, the, the change in consumption pattern is, is really inevitable. And um, in order to support certain business model experimentation locally, or as we like to call it, localization, um, there's certain requirement of risk capital with, of course, some of the handholding that I referred to earlier. Um, that is really what the fund aims to provide uh, at the very earliest stages, so series seed and going towards series A stages as well. And the idea is to become the partner of choice, not only for local entrepreneurs, but also to be the, this bridge builder with international institutions and investors that are looking to access Pakistan, but previously did not have any professional means of doing that, uh, at least on the private side. So that's really at a core what our thesis is. Um, so far, we have out of our first fund invested in 11 companies. Um, maybe I'll talk about just two to highlight some of the more exciting ones. Um, our flagship investment is into a Gojek lookalike called Baikia, um, which just completed Series B, with, uh, which also represented um, NASPER's first investment in the country. Uh, Baikia is very much um, a, a consistent with our overall thesis that we're looking at in Pakistan, which is how to utilize existing assets better, how to make a company profitable with skinny unit economics, and how to build the uh, company functions and bring in talent that is required to take some of these startups to the next level. Uh, we believe 
um, the thesis of having more, 22 million motorbikes in the country, 80 million smartphones, and a platform that leverages these existing assets and creates income generation opportunities for a segment of the population um, is very much at the core of what the opportunity is within Pakistan. And this company has um, delivered really well so far on it, um, due in no small, small part to the CEO, Muneeb Meyer, um, who previously was also CEO of the largest e-commerce platform in the country, which was sold to Alibaba in 2016. Um, the second um, exciting company that we can perhaps talk about to also give an illustration of how um, some of the base level infrastructure is, is enabling the ecosystem. Um, we have a payments platform called Simpesa, um, which has in the last nine months or so grown almost 15X. Um, and of a fund, total fundraise to date of $220,000 um, is already EBITDA positive, um, net margin positive, and also cash generative. Um, and the question really is of how quickly um, the market can continue to be captured as um, the market is opening up more and more. Um, what the company does is basically it aggregates a bunch of different digital payment options uh, for merchants. So it's a direct B2B play rather than a B2C play, which of course we know um, has very different economics attached to it. So just two of these companies to illustrate um, the exciting um, opportunity that is coming out of Pakistan and that now is being capitalized on now that some of those challenges that I mentioned, such as uh, lack of risk capital and, and also talent development um, are now getting addressed. Simpesa, I have to say that's quite uh, interesting. Very similar to, uh, you know, the Kenyan-based corporate Safaricom, right? The telecommunication company that launched uh, M-Pesa. So very similar product line. Yes. So in fact, they do. Um, we do have the equivalent of M-Pesa in Pakistan called EasyPesa. Uh, but the beauty of Simpesa is that it actually aggregates EasyPesa with a bunch of other payment uh, methods as well to offer a one-stop shop to merchants. And what was particularly exciting was international merchants that have streaming services, gaming um, um, companies, et cetera, would not consider monetizing in Pakistan because A, it was a bit of a challenge to aggregate a bunch of these different payment options. And B, they took a view that that level of effort and focus from those uh, companies themselves um, could not be justified at this time while the ecosystem in Pakistan was only developed. So what um, the Simpesa management did was they really went to all these providers on the Google Play Store, on the Apple Store, and um, uh, offered them this one-stop solution, which basically allowed them to monetize, start monetizing in the country. Uh, and also very importantly, remit those payments out of the country, which is also not an cha insignificant challenge. So both of those um, problems, if I may, were solved by Simpesa, which then led to significant traction. And once you get like the likes of a Spotify on, then, then Netflix start talking to you and so on and so forth. And uh, Rabil, as you had kind of alluded to um, quite a bit in our call, uh, there is, of course, a lot of emergence of opportunity in Pakistan. And there's this term which you coined as the Wapistani effect. Can you tell us more about the ideology behind this 
And is this also the value add effect you were also alluding to earlier? So it's a part of that effect. Um, and maybe I should explain what the term <laughs> means. Um, it's basically a combination of the word Bapis, which means to come back. And then of course, Pakistani. So the idea is really that Pakistan over the last decade and decade and a half didn't benefit from the return of the successful diaspora like India did or Nigeria or Indonesia did. Because a lot of those people that were coming back after their successes were not only bringing risk capital back, but also um, certain domain expertise, certain knowledge of building companies, et cetera. Pakistan, unfortunately, missed out on some of this effect and the exposure um, that was available to the people that stayed within the country um, is not the optimum exposure that a lot of people who left the country got. So one way of plugging this gap is really to have some of those Pakistanis come back to the country or be involved with the ecosystem. And we saw a, a, a material shift in that dynamic uh, around the 2016, 2017 timeframe, partly driven by improved political situation in the country, improved security, um, and also, um, dare I say, the emergence of the opportunity in the country, um, which was again, um, having a little bit of a pull effect from Pakistan. Um, and there was uh, at the same time, a little bit of a push effect from um, the places where these people are typically based, which is either North America or, or Europe. And even within that, it's really the US and UK. And at both those places, um, now, of course, we can say ex-President Trump, um, like, you know, was, was a bit of a push factor, dare I say so. Um, and, and similarly, a Brexit-ridden UK um, was, was not necessarily the most appealing prospect to kind of stay and spend the rest of your life in. So this Pakistani effect um, was starting to play an, an, a, a role in plugging what we call like the talent stack. Um, which is one of the three stacks that we believe are very crucial to any startup success, uh, capital, technology, and talent. Um, and that ultimately is very crucial because otherwise it's impossible to get that learning fast-tracked. Um, one of the key things we say in venture is to avoid a mistake being done twice. But if Pakistan as an ecosystem hasn't gone through that learning, how do we bring in that knowledge and that learning? And that is where the Pakistani effect and the impact that they have um, is, is really amplified. Uh, really well said there, uh, Rabil. And could you then dive into how this differs from the, the value add effect? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the value add effect is really um, trying to figure out where are the gaps in any particular companies. Um, current position and where it's looking to get to. Um, our, we have, we've developed a value added framework which is revolved around six pillars and the aim being to identify and execute on potential category leadership. Um, and the various areas of that include such as like leadership and culture, um, the, the company's brand, of course it's performance, et cetera. And the idea is that we're not professing to know the solution to every single case that is presented by our startups, but we would want to use our platform to bring on board either the relevant people or to find a solution um, wherever that one exists, wherever a problem or a challenge or a gap exists in one of our underlying portfolio companies. Um, and the network effect that gets built um, as a result of having a platform such as our fund versus an individual startup 
um, is a lot bigger. And so we want to then really do the same function that I mentioned earlier, which is build bridges um, for, for people that are looking to get involved and might have the expertise. Um, and from our perspective, while we have the access um, to those companies and might have even uh, invested in them, um, to be able to pairing them up together and, and helping them move forward. Maybe one example I can give of this is one of our LPs out of his own pocket um, pays for one-to-one -one executive coaching of um, some of our portfolio CEOs, including us as well, um, from Fortune 500 coaches, um, five, Fortune 500 coach based outside of Pakistan. This kind of thinking we believe is very new in the country. Um, and what we're effectively doing is investing in people. And that's really where the value add um, framework or mindset comes in, which is um, not to impose on um, founders what we think is best for them, but to empower them to both identify those gaps themselves, to be able to then plug them and then leverage our help in, in kind of moving forward and taking those steps um, to address whatever challenges or gaps they might be. So I wanted to really take a step back and, and look at the current fund structure. Um, you had brought this to my attention that it's quite interesting uh, compared to how a lot of other funds are set up. And given the political landscape uh, in Pakistan and the fund investing in Pakistan, uh, why is it that it's domicile in the Netherlands? Um, is there a reason behind that? That's a good question. And I think I also want to use this opportunity to just clarify. Um, since the fund is getting invested in Pakistan, it's not like we're taking a view that the political landscape or the regulatory landscape is not um, conducive to such investments. Um, quite the contrary, in fact, because it's just that the venture capital fund regime in the country is not developed enough to facilitate the GPLP structure and governance um, that we had in mind to set up a blue chip um, VC fund. What do I mean by that? Um, the current requirements in the country have a certain trust structure requirement, which basically means that you need to have a board of independent trustees that ratify any investment committee discussions or decisions. Um, that, of course, isn't really workable because the list of independent trustees that you can pick from um, do not, in fact, know about venture capital. Um, so uh, it's more for structuring reasons and the fact that actually Pakistan's ecosystem might be a few years away from having locally domiciled funds and that we went out and reviewed six different jurisdictions for a bunch of different aspects such as uh, support infrastructure, banking network, precedent of fund flows from that jurisdiction to Pakistan and vice versa, um, and also uh, uh, double taxation, um, treatment, et cetera. Uh, so out of that, we landed on Netherlands as, as one where uh, both our investors were comfortable, so didn't have any reputational um, risk associated with it, but also a, a fairly established service industry, which would allow us to, um, to manage this and, and continue to invest in Pakistani opportunities. Um, for doing this, we have to pay extra every year, as you can imagine, given the administration costs um, abroad, um, and spend more in terms of overall governance, compliance, um, and also regul uh, regulation, uh, regulatory compliance, sorry. Um, but in the long run, we believe this is worth it because our, our aim is not to build a fund, but it's to build a firm, which hopefully can have multiple funds. 
And to, so to build that trust with our investors was a very key component of it. Um, and I would expect down the, uh, down the line, we might have some parallel structure in Pakistan as well. Um, but at least for the time being, uh, we don't see the, the regime changing immediately, even though um, there has been a lot of movement on this front recently. And we've been, um, uh, if I may toot our own horn, at the forefront of it. And it seems that you have been right, because recently a huge news release came out by the SPP, the State Bank of Pakistan, which will enable Pakistani entrepreneurs and businesses to attract smart capital or set up hold calls and expand to markets abroad. Your general counsel was involved in this, in negotiation, which is really exciting to say the least. Can you tell us more about how this kind of will uh, further play out uh, uh, for Pakistan's future? So Kunal, I believe this recent announcement from the State Bank of Pakistan is arguably the most important regulatory development of the last few years, uh, pertaining specifically to startups and, and venture capital. One of the key challenges that um, some of the startups locally faced was in order to attract foreign investors uh, in, in series A onward stages, there would almost be a requirement from some of those investors to domicile the whole co abroad. Even in cases where it wasn't a requirement, it just has a very different risk perception, um, even if just the whole co of a particular company is set up abroad. The challenge used to be that founders of these companies that were Pakistan tax residents could not actually own equity in these holcos, which is of course a big problem because those are the people that are making these businesses. And so for them to not have the comfort of knowing that there's a, a formal structure to which they do own equity is viable, um, meant that they had to work, um, they had to work around it and, and really rely on the investors not shortchanging them at, at the right moment. Um, so with these recent changes, a lot of that has been streamlined. Um, this effort has been months um, of, or has, has seen months of work behind it. Um, as you pointed out, our general counsel, Mubarak Siddiqui, has been um, really leading that effort from the industry's end. Um, I myself was involved in, in, in many of those sessions, but um, we even helped with drafting of the specific language that uh, needs to be inserted in there or at least modified um, in the various uh, manuals and, and policies that were already in place with the state bank. But other than the significance of the, these specific changes, um, what this signifies though, is really the intent of the regulators and the authorities in the country to facilitate the ecosystem. Um, they want to look good and uh, they look good by enabling more of what has been happening to happen even easier. So it's actually fairly simple to align incentives here. Um, the, the good thing is in a, in, a, in a country like Pakistan where traditionally um, bureaucracies, et cetera, tend to weigh too much on, on progress. Um, and a lot of times the input that is um, garnered is coming from people that have no clue about what they're talking about, <laughs> the subject that they're trying to address. In this case, um, that's not the case because um, maybe call it lack of knowledge within the ecosystem about venture or, or how startup um, or venture building goes or venture financing continuum works. Um, a bunch of those factors have resulted in 
um, the, the authority is really relying on industry input um, to, to bring about some of these changes. And, and that's a very healthy sign uh, of the direction of travel in which we're going. So, Rabil, if someone were to look at your background, uh, they would see that you spent the last seven years, right, work, working at uh, GIC, right, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Singapore, and doing debt and equity investing. But then you decided to come back to Pakistan. And how has investing in, you know, a premature market like this with potential for massive gains changed uh, the quality of founders uh, you meet? And how has your investing strategy kind of uh, adapted to this? Excellent question, Kunal. Um, and I'll go back to what I referred earlier. Um, founders in Pakistan just haven't been exposed to that much. Um, they, when we started investing, we were the first investors that most of these founders had spoken to ever. Um, so the full cycle knowledge of going out to the market, raising capital, then putting that capital to work, uh, generating metrics, and then going back to the market again to raise more, and then eventually exiting and recycling, we haven't done that as an ecosystem. So you cannot get that knowledge locally. So what we had to do was um, we had to come up uh, with a plan that included that handholding at the beginning. Um, so it was very much less driven by being a capacity to write a check, but it was also capacity to write a check plus an identification of where, where the gaps are and, whether, and an assessment whether we could help plug some of those gaps as well. So that was the overall decision whenever we were looking to invest in a company or, or back a team. So in terms of like difference of founders, um, very different problems to solve um, in, a, in a frontier market really like Pakistan versus a more mature market. And the tools that are available to help are, are fewer. Um, so meaning that you need to maybe spend more time trying to problem solve. Um, and what that means, of course, is there are more distractions, um, like, you know, or if I may call it more firefighting to be done on a daily basis. Um, however, um, given these very challenges, if you are able to make um, a, an offering that is profitable and sustainable and can grow, um, then the advantage you have over any new potential entrance is also very massive. And we believe this is our, at the very core um, of our exit thesis as well, which is that the localization requirements in the country are so strong that um, any international company looking to enter the market will find it more viable to just acquire one of these startups as a means of market entry rather than put in place a full infrastructure and team and then spend the same amount of money and try to localize it um, better than the locals, which we think is just not a very viable strategy. And we saw this already play out with between Uber and Kareem as well. Um, so, so while the founders are have to focus on different things, um, ultimately they need to make um, their startup successful and, and the buck for effectively everything does stop with them. Um, so if you were to ask me, what are slightly different traits um, that are required here? I think you need grit and resilience in a lot more measure than what might be required elsewhere. In general, startups require a lot of patience, but I think in, in terms of like, you know, just the day-to-days um, uh, additional responsibilities and, and uh, the firefighting that I referred to, uh, that is a lot more prevalent in, in, in a frontier market like Pakistan. And uh, so 
you need to be prepared for that um, as a founder as well. The other thing that is very different is in an emerging ecosystem like Pakistan, the natural tendency of people isn't to share and to help out and to um, talk about failures and um, like, you know, problems um, because you don't want to convey a certain kind of like, you know, negative impression because it's a small ecosystem. There might be very few opportunities to um, uh, capitalize on investments, etc. So, so there's a little bit of reticence in, in terms of like, you know, admitting really truly like, you know, where you have, where things haven't worked. Um, but more and more, um, as you go along, you find more people that are like-minded and, and you open up over time. So one of the things that I would say is different is when you go to Silicon Valley, um, it'll be commonplace for people to be just meeting, mingling, talking about what's working, what's not working. Um, whereas in Pakistan still, there's a little bit of a silo effect that gets created, um, both on the investor side and sometimes also on the startup side. Um, they might be facing the same problem, um, but because neither is admitting it, um, no one can actually work on part solution um, individually so that overall the problem can get solved. Um, while this might sound like you know, um, a, not a huge problem, but ultimately when, when you see at a portfolio level uh, across various different companies, the problems being the same, um, you realize that actually all that's required is for them to be sitting together in one room, maybe hearing from the other side what the problem has been, and then thinking through what their response to such a problem could be. Um, but absent a fund like ours that can actually bring our portfolio together, because like we've invested in them, so there's a common thread, uh, that's not happening at an overall ecosystem level. And uh, I think will need to happen to help us leapfrog some of those uh, problems effectively. So it's, it's really not just about putting in an investment into an economy or investing or just being founder focused. It's about also going in and building out this ecosystem from scratch and further adding value to it, as well as helping further develop uh, the mentality of, of the population trying to, you know, maybe uh, start a startup or, or go into entrepreneurship. Absolutely, Kunal. I think all of those things go hand in hand. If there's one blanket statement I could make, it's, it's that one person, one fund or one company will not make this ecosystem successful. So for us to also be successful, we need a lot, other, a lot of others to also be successful. And that requires really this ecosystem development approach. Uh, and it has various aspects to it, um, some of which we've also discussed, like there's a regulatory aspect which we need to move forward. There's of course this partnership, collaboration, co-investing element, which is across um, investors. Um, and there's of course this trust building, um, which, which is an ongoing and never ending effort with founders as well, because um, they're experiencing these investments for the first time. Um, while they want to trust us and we want to trust them, um, experience uh, dr um, drives that. And what we're hoping is that positive experience and positive um, case studies and stories coming emerging from the ecosystem further build on this and, and help move everyone forward. Um, and uh, so overall, it, it will be a rising tide, uh, which will benefit quite a few. Um, but uh, of course, within that, the, there's still room for outperformance. And that's something how, that, how we think about ourselves, um, that 
at no cost do we not want to help contribute to the ecosystem so that the tide rises. But at the same time, there's certain advantages we have as being the first ones and the largest ones, et cetera, that, that we also believe uh, set us apart. Rabil, to really wrap up our call with our last question uh, today, uh, what piece of advice would you give to people out there from the journey you've had uh, so far in life? That's a good question and not a very easy one to answer. But if I was to say, I think it's important to play the long game, but at the same time, um, not get tunnel vision and, and see what's out there. And a lot of times when people who followed a career path such as mine get sucked into what is this honey trap uh, outside. And, uh, and it, of course it's sweet, but ultimately it might not be their calling. And, and I went through that journey myself and um, I, had, I was incredibly lucky to have people around me who were able to identify what this opportunity meant for me and what it could become. And, and that was really helpful in, in figuring out um, when to make that leap or jump. Um, and, and from that point on, of course, it's what you put into it um, that you read the rewards of. So while I would like to believe that I'm continuing to play that long game, um, opportunities emerging within this, um, you, you need to keep an eye out for, for how um, you can kind of progress and develop on top of what you have done in the past um, while still uh, staying true to your purpose and like, you know, your mission or whatever vision it is that one has. And for people who are interested in maybe, you know, touching base with you or potentially catching a cup of coffee with you, what would be the best uh, point of contact? Yeah, I can be contacted on, on LinkedIn. Um, I, my personal email is reveal at sarmayakar.com. Um, we have a website on which there's also a general email that um, can be um, reached out to. I tweet, um, I don't tweet very often, but I do tweet at Rabil Varaj, which is um, my full name. Um, and uh, maybe the last thing to say is if there's anyone out there listening that has an interest in, in coming to Pakistan, uh, we love to host uh, such folks uh, because we believe half our job is done when they see the buzz on the ground in Pakistan. Uh, and because it also nullifies what Fox News has been telling them about Pakistan <laughs> for most of their lives. So if anyone is interested, um, we're very happy to uh, host and uh, to show them what uh, what's going on here. Um, with regards to COVID, um, I think the, the general impression in the country is that COVID's visa for Pakistan expired at the end of last year. Uh, so this year it's all good. But of course, I'm joking there. It's, um, it's still going around, but the overall numbers and are fairly low in, uh, in Pakistan. Rabil, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast and thank you so much for joining us on Geeks of the Valley. Thank you so much for having me, Kunal.